to a better world. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to have another very engaging show. I have invited back the founder-slash-inventor of Colorhythms, David Katzmeyer. We've had David on the show a number of times, actually, on the radio and television shows, and it's because the work that he has conceived of following the rhythms, the cycles of first the body in something we know originally as biorhythms, then to the nation, and then further on expanded to the planet itself is of such importance, value, and interest. It also has predictive possibilities that I really enjoy bringing him forward on the A Better World airwaves and sharing his brilliance, quite honestly, with the rest of the world. It's so engaging when you follow the logic inherent in the development of these cycles, mental, emotional, physical, and ultimately spiritual cycles. And when you start to follow David's logic, you begin to see how the ebbing and the flowing of these cycles and how they interact with each other we can find in our own bodies, we can find, as I said, in our nations, and we can find in the world at large. Following those rhythms, following these cycles, reveals why certain things happen as they do. And it's with that kind of insight and depth that I'm going to be speaking with David today on today's show so he can help us understand and uncover some of these understandings so they can be applied to our own personal lives, our professional lives, as well as understanding from a larger cultural what can happen when we tune in to these natural rhythms that are part of all the universe, in fact, and all creation. So uh, I want to welcome David Katzmeyer back to A Better World. It's a pleasure to have you again, David. Good to have Thank you. Thank you, Mitchell. It's such Great a pleasure. Great introduction. So as I said, you have been expert in identifying and uh, tracking these cycles. Why don't you give us a little bit of a taste of how you came upon, upon this, how it downloaded to you, however you want to put it, and then where you've gone from there. I like that downloaded aspect of it. Let's start with a very original concept that the pattern of everything is in anything. So grateful that we have a noun for that now as of 1970. Thank you, Bruno Mandelbrot, a great mathematician, that there are fractals. And we began looking at fractals not just in mathematical formulas or in geometric shapes, but we can also look at fractals as self-repeating certain smaller scales of size and time in all things. And this includes, let's call it time. This includes the cycles in which we move, the tides of time. We have trends on a large scale. We have trends on the small scale. And the small scale trends that we can understand because we live long enough to see a few of those go by, um, are keys to what's happening to trends in the world on a large, large scale that happen over much greater periods of time, such as centuries. So if you understand the small, you can understand the big. And if you understand the big, can you also concomitantly understand the small? Yes. And there is a similarity between them. There's, you know, pic- um, there's pixelation. Is that it? <laughs> well, there's a reflection. Uh, and so yeah. there is a mirror aspect of it. Uh, Michael Talbert, who's an interesting author, spoke of a holographic universe. Is that what is here is elsewhere. And the microcosm is the microcosm, uh, mm-hmm. as the Sufis said, uh, Rumi said that. And um, when we apply that, Well, so all of these things are wonderful, and there's a great many resources you can go out and study all of these things. And you begin to realize, yes, it really is a self-reflecting, holographic, self-iterating, fractal universe. Okay, having said that. A recursive universe, as they say. I like that, yes. 
It is recursive. Well, back in the 70s when I was in my teens uh, and growing up, something became very popular, which is now accepted as fact, which is the study of biorhythms. And this is a culmination of work that goes back to many doctors and professors uh, all the way back into Europe in the 19th uh, 1900s and the 1800s, and um, people started putting these observations together to find out that we have rhythms that move within us from the day we're born, and they move like clockwork. They go from highs and lows, and they affect us physically. They affect us emotionally, and they affect us intellectually. And so our mind, our heart, and our body uh, have energy waves uh, that lasts, you know, so many weeks of highs and lows. So fascinating study because you can study it because we know how long these waves last. So you look at the day you're born and you can look at what day is today and you calculate how many days have you been alive. And then you know where these cycles of periodicity are on this day. And you can know if you're on a physical high or low, an emotional high or low, or an intellectual high or low things like that and became quite fascinating mm-hmm. and popular. So. Fascinating. And so you were basically extrapolating from the understanding of the biorhythms to looking at nations and then looking at the world at large, or let's, let's say more concretely the planet and looking at the way both you could say geological rhythms, slow as they may seem to be um, interacting, if you will, with cosmic rhythms, um, radiation, solar cycles. I mean, this is a huge subject, Dave, that you have kind of embraced here, and you've looked at the uh, interstices, if you will, of how these all operate on and in between cells, minds, emotions, and the entirety of the physical body. Yes. Uh, there are correlations, let's say, in biorhythms, uh, with durations of the moon and even with the sun uh, for the emotional cycle uh, there, uh, and the intellectual cycle and so on. And uh, you can go on the collarhythms.org and find some of these correlations, K-A-L-A rhythms.org. And you can also uh, go to the site of the mentor to whom I look up who I consider to be the greatest uh, cycle scholar in the world, Ray Tomes. And if I may mention his website, psychresearchinstitute.org. I just, uh, last October, flew to New Zealand and spent three weeks with him where we taped more than 100 subjects of uh, cycle study, which are unbelievably fascinating, that we're going to be publishing on psychresearchinstitute.org this spring. But uh, that's I just want. That's to, excellent. You know, I just want to say in passing that uh, thanks to you, I met Ray uh, out in Albuquerque a few years ago at a cycles conference that you and I were and Ray were all speaking at, and uh, I had a chance to interview him at that time for a Better World TV as well. And uh, as you say, just to corroborate, he is uh, a mentor to you and to me. He's a, an exceptional scientist and thoughtful, creative individual, and uh, I understand. But what's interesting is that a lot of your work um, has paralleled a lot of his work at entirely geographically separate parts of the world, and even before you ever met, and you see the parallels between. Is that correct? That is correct. And so we wound up, you know, and it's not just with Ray – um, it's been with other things. There are examples that I could cite. It's not, there's nothing more reassuring and more comforting than to realize you came up with an unoriginal idea. Why? <laughs> it, it's yes. true. It, it is for me because then you're getting corroboration that it exists. Exactly. And I give examples of that. But I don't want to go digressing into details. I want to get back on yeah. the track of what you were mentioning uh, in your opening is that um, the pattern of everything... Looking at the specific cycles, if you would, when, when you get around to it, if you would, talk sure. about the way they interact and the way they cross, and then what is in store to an individual, a nation, or the planet when there are the interactions between the, uh, the streams of cycles, if you will. Okay, that's a, that's a great question. 
the best way to understand the cycles of a nation and the larger cycles of world civilization is to understand that we have those cycles moving on smaller scales of size and time in our own bodies because we are like cells in a great organism. And so if you have a nation made of people, then that nation is going to have a character. There's a character of a nation. A philosopher, uh, Giovanni Bautista, spoke of that. And it goes through stages of life, as German philosopher Oswald Spengler said, that Mm -hmm. a civilization goes through birth, childhood, adolescence, adulthood, uh, senescence, and death, and all that. And so there's the seasons of history, if you will. Seasons of history, very well. That was more Toynbee, actually. Yes, that's quite right. And they do go through seasons because every cycle has four seasons, four stages of development. So it goes like this. If in our bodies we have physical highs and lows, emotional highs and lows, and intellectual highs and lows, and even particular points where we have bad days, bad physical days, uh, when we're all thumbs or bad emotional day where we could be irritable or get upset or uh, a bad intellectual day where we might make a questionable decision, all part of the cycle because it goes, we have in our bodies, a 23-day physical cycle that goes high and low energy. You can be more physical. You can work out more when it's high, and you should not try to seek new levels when it's low. You know, maintain your current levels if you're working out. Um, and if it hits a crossover day, you know, you might trip over your own feet. <laughs> you could drop mm-hmm. something. You could be accident prone. And that happens, mm-hmm. the crossover days, between the low point of the cycle and the high part of the cycle. When you cross that middle point on that one day, <laughs> for some reason, it's like – switching gears in the middle of an intersection and stepping on a banana peel. It's just that transition from low, high, high to low, clumsy. That's what you find in the 23-day physical cycle. But we also have a 28-day emotional cycle where we, when it's high, we tend to be more outgoing, maybe a little more social, gregarious, optimistic. And when it's low, we want to pull up the drawbridge and be more inward, a little bit more low-keyed and subdued. But when we're crossing between that high and the low, on that one day of crossing up into the high or crossing down into the low, we could be irritable. <laughs> you could get upset, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, uh-huh. I burned the pot right. Oh, how could I do this? You're breaking the tears or something <laughs> like that. You know? And how about the intellectual cycle? This was observed by more than one college professor who found that, you know, students test better at different times in the month, but it depends on the student. Well, why? What day of the month it's going to be for them? Well, because they're born at different times, and they have a 33-day intellectual cycle, highs and lows. And uh, the crossover days uh, on that are a little bit more subtle, but it could be a crisis of decision. That is Mm -hmm. biorhythm that's happening in us. And you could have all these different combinations on any day. One cycle could be high. Another one could be low. Sometimes they're all high. Sometimes they're all low. Why and what does that look these... like if they're all high? Well, it looks like a great time to be doing something, and every now and then that's going to happen to you. You see, there's three different cycles, a 23-day cycle, physical, a 28-day cycle, that's emotional, and a 33-day cycle, that's intellectual. So that means they're not all moving the highs and lows at the same time. And so the correlations to each other are going to phase in and out as you go through the years. And uh, if you could have a physical high and an intellectual low one day, and you might outrun your own sense. <laughs> or yeah. you could have a, a, so a physical in order low. For, and, yeah. In yeah. order for a cycle to begin its cycling – there has to be a point of commencement, an inception point. Uh, so good. would you speak about that? That way we – if someone goes, let's say, to your website, is there a place where they put in like their date of birth or their date of conception or something of that sort? Uh, there are sites that you can do that, <laughs> and a lot of your cell phones, they have apps for biorhythms. It's really cool. Yes. You just download the app. There's free apps for that. And you put in your date of birth, and you say, what are my biorhythms today? It's really cool. And it'll tell you, this is high and this is low and whatnot. So that 
was I found that fascinating. I first read about it in Science Digest magazine. I was a fan of that when I was a, when I was a kid. I actually bought a subscription, and uh, so I started following up. That brought me into the world of cycles. But let's get back mm-hmm. to this fractal universe. The fact yes. that uh, that we make up society, and so well, you know, if you make a house out of red bricks, you're going to have a brick house. And if you make a nation that's made up of people, then that nation, so to speak, is an entity that has a mind, a heart, and a body, as it were. It has Mm -hmm. its own identity. So I'm asking you to think of a nation as a person, a person that moves on a much grander scale and that we are the cells of that great organism. Mm-hmm. Now, in that nation, the same kind of cycles moving throughout time with the, in that nation as we, each of us has in our own bodies. My biorhythms are the same as yours, and yours are the same as somebody else. We all are born with the same durations, the same rhythms, and they all start for us on the day that we're mm-hmm. born. Now, each nation has physical highs and lows, emotional highs and lows, and intellectual highs and lows. And that is a clockwork of durations that are consistent. They are, have periodicity. And they begin when the nation is born. And in the case of the United States, we were born in the American Revolution. The outbreak, that is the birth pangs of a nation. You have birth pangs in childbirth, and you often have birth pangs in a new nation as we broke away from our mother nation of England. Predominant culture here today is the European-American breakaway from uh, the colonization of Great Britain. <clears throat> and so that's you United made States. a distinction between our declaration that the birth of the nation – took place on Independence Day called July 4th, and instead you've redated the birth per what you're saying now regarding uh, birth pangs. Could you uh, focus in on that, zoom in on that? I was looking for an accurate way to measure the reactions of people. The stock market is a great way to do that. This is something for Mm -hmm. which we have daily records. Uh, We have optimistic, pessimistic sailing. Uh, We have the economy is influenced by cycles. And and we've got meticulous records that are kept over great periods of time. So I studied so many indicators. I could list a long stream of them. I uh, took courses. I learned how to do things. I even played the options market a little bit. And I emphasize Mm -hmm. a little bit that's a day game. And... (laughs) Pardon me. And I thought, well, okay, I need evidence. I believed I knew what were the durations of the cycles. If we have mm-hmm. physical, emotional, intellectual cycles of the nation, how long do they last? Because if we know how long they last, then we can look at where we are today. And you have to count them from when you're born. But when were we born? Hmm. So I tried plotting them from uh, July 4th, 1776. And I found and I created charts of where the market was, uh, compared with composite charts of where I thought the cycles were if we started then. And I was off every day by the same amount. I found that they were they moved uh, in tandem, but they were out of phase. And so I moved back the beginning of the birth of the United States with this chart of what I thought the durations of the cycles were. And I moved it until it lined up with the everyday market data over all of these decades. And when I found a match, guess where the beginning was? It was at the beginning of the Revolutionary War. Uh, The actual, it's an interesting thing, the actual fighting broke out in April of 1775, a shot heard around the world. But what I found is that these crossover years coincide with the tropical year. And so it actually, the, the time of the beginning 
fell on the first day of spring in 1775, and it was just pregnant with disaster waiting to happen. And sure enough, the fighting broke out days later, a couple weeks later or so, and the war began. By the end of 1775, we had uh, General Washington commanding an army. We had a navy. Uh, we had conscripts to pay the Navy, and we had our own Congress and a flag, uh, the first flag of the United States with 13 red and white stripes and the cross of St. George in the Canton, later replaced by stars. All of this in 1775. We were a nation. And then, you know, in the following July, there was a convention in Philadelphia, and we got together and said we're a nation. But guess what? You've got to exist first before you can say you exist. I'm pretty sure that history will bear this out. Nobody who doesn't exist ever, ever claimed they exist. You have to be born well, maybe in order God. To I'm not sure. <laughs> but I'll go that's going that back one. far. <laughs> but uh, what day then specifically have you marked the beginning of the nation as its birthday? March 21, 1775. And that was the beginning of three great cycles in our nation. Our Look, I'm glad it wasn't like April 1st. Oh, yeah, because that would have fooled everybody. <laughs> and so <laughs> we just said, oh, only can. We're going to reset the clock. Um, we have enough chaos. That and now that you lined it up that way, if I may say, when you selected that date, and you drew the cycles based on your market data from that yeah. point. What did you see? A correlation on the macroeconomic. This is uh, using these cycles. These cycles are uh, a 28-year physical cycle, a 36-year emotional cycle, and a 44-year intellectual cycle. I'll explain what that means in a minute. But when you're yeah. dealing with cycles of this duration and putting them together and looking how they, you know, how history has reacted when they were in different combinations and things, which is fascinating. You've got to realize that this is a macroeconomic prediction. You can't do daily trading based on this. You can't do arbitrage trading. But what you can do is look at the trends over the decades, and they are phenomenally true when it comes to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, because these are somewhat long wave uh, trends that are moving, well, 28 years, 36 years, and 44 years. But I'll give you just a couple of examples of how these waves of highs and lows can affect us. There was one decade uh, up until the 21st century, there was only one decade in which all three cycles hit a peak within a 10-year span. We know that time by its common name, the Roaring Twenties. Mm -hmm. Subsequently, the only decade in which all three cycles hit the trough, the bottom, within a 10-year period, we know by another oh, nickname. The Great Depression. The Great Depression. And uh, there were, and I talked about, times of crisis and they were so Whenever, close to each other interestingly but it, they weren't because that, that far uh, all cycles peak within a 10 year and they're all going to go down subsequently ahead of trough in a 10 year period then they're going to go off in a myriad of combinations so it's just a matter of mathematics that it happens that way so every nation that begins you know from that from when they start then you're going to have a, a time about 140 years later, look out. Uh, you're going to have a great peak and you're going to have a crash uh, in between. And there's uh, yes. something that happened in between the very predictable stock market crash of 1929. Yes. Uh, because very predictable. Now, you, you were able to predict it retroactively, <laughs> so to speak. But, I of course – if that's the case, if you were able to predict that, if you were able to predict the Roaring Twenties, if you were able to predict the uh, the uh, Great Depression, just as an example, with pinpoint accuracy based on the way the cycles, emotional, intellectual, and physical, are interacting with each other, high, low, and crossover points among them, then you can take that as an overlay and 
flip it into the future and see if, in fact, you are able to exercise the same predictive uh, power in the future. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're and with me, right? Coming up, yeah. Yes. So okay. what are the predictions for the next couple of decades? Now that we've well, let, let's, let's, before we go, I, I absolutely want to go into that, Dave, but I want to say okay. to your credit that over the years that I have known you, and even before that, you have had a rather exceptional predictive ability beyond what is that website 538 of who the presidents will be. And it seems like it might be only this last one that occurred on November 8, 2016, that you were incorrect. And I would wager there are reasons for your being inaccurate, uh, not, to, not the system itself, but other um, intervening variables. Excuse no, me, I, please, I go on. Trump. I made this prediction when I, last October when I was in New Zealand with Ray and his associates, and I do recall oh. a discussion at in New York, uh, and you were there. I predicted Trump was yes. winning. Absolutely. Yes. No, oh, so you one... did predict Trump. There was one Absolutely. that you felt you missed. Yes, there is. You're right. You're right, my friend. There is one that I missed. I made predictions in every presidential election from 1984 until now, and I missed one. It was 2012. I had predicted Romney was going to win, and that oh, Obama was going to not win a second term. <laughs> and what happened is Romney was very if much... If you would outline what, what your reasoning was and then go into the, the decades in the future, that would be great. This oh, will good. allow okay. us to follow your logic. Yes. When uh, in 2012, uh, it was sort of an end of... We were coming out of a high period out of that time. And we were going a little bit more into reform. And um, so with that, I thought that Romney was going to win uh, election uh, because I had overestimated the discontentment that people had uh, with the expansion of government. And uh, the expansion of government was absolutely massive uh, since the turn of the century uh, under uh, George Bush and under Obama both. It was absolutely massive. And I thought there was, the cycles had started to take a downturn, and I thought that people were going to call for it to cut back. Uh, the cycles are more of a downturn now, uh, and they're, the people are looking for a cutting back, a downsizing in government. Um, mm -hmm. And so, uh, uh, as I predicted, Trump won. And, uh, but I'll tell you, uh, here's another prediction for you. Uh, I said before the November results, whoever presidency, they're going to have a very difficult time getting reelected in 2020 because the cycles mm -hmm. in 2020 are uh, just about a double bottom. The physical cycle hits the bottom in 2020. That is likely to give us an industrial recession, and people are going to be unhappy about that. The emotional cycle bottoms out next year and is still going to be low um, in 2020. And the intellectual cycle will be low and declining. This is going to make it very difficult for the economy to grow. And when cycles hit the bottom and they begin to rise up off of the bottom, which two cycles will be doing in 2020, People abandon the past, and they want the new. The last time the physical cycle hit the bottom was back in 1992. And the physical, what's physical for a nation? That's industry. That's storable goods. That's production. And disco dancing or not disco dancing or physical fitness or getting overweight. These are all physical athletics. Athletics, athletics right. And in 1992, both Ford and General Motors had record losses in the history of both of those companies, two different companies. Mm. And George Bush, 41, he lost his second term. Uh, and Bill Clinton uh, was elected, which, which I predicted. Mm -hmm. 
And so it's going to be very difficult for President Trump to be reelected in 2020. So, um, but in the meantime, and, and just from a cycle point of view, that's because what will be low and what will be high and what will be crossing, if anything, all of it's low. All the cycles are are going to be low, and in spring, all low. All low. And uh, the emotional cycle will be rising up off the bottom. The physical cycle will be at the bottom. The intellectual cycle will be low and declining. But watch out for that intellectual cycle. Because in spring of this year, as of March 21, 2017, until March 21, 2018, this is all in a tropical year, you know, natural year. That is the year of a downward intellectual cycle ending its high and it means crises and decision no wonder what? trump got elected well we're not there excuse yet, me but we're going to be there, <laughs> or we're going to be there so it's just a precursor it. yeah uh there is going to be more conceptual debates uh and intellectual differences uh than you've seen uh, for a long time well to give you an example when that intellectual cycle, it's crossing down low, um, and that's a crisis. So what happened the last time it crossed up to get into the high that we're coming out of? That was back in 1995, and that's when there was a budget showdown between Republicans and Democrats, and the federal government shut down the Fed. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Steve Fields had this joke. I went to Philadelphia one day, and it was closed. And uh, the Fed <laughs> shut down. And you know what? Nobody noticed the difference. Isn't that something? <laughs> In fact, there were rumors that things were going better than ever once the government was closed. <laughs> we better get back to work. They find out they get, get along without us. Hey, what are we paying taxes for? We're doing better. No, I'm only kidding. Yeah, really, um, really. From a point of view of war and peace, yeah. Yeah. where does the physical – and the other cycles need to be for a period of peace. The United States will have a propensity, less propensity for war for the remainder of this decade and throughout most of the next decade. Americans don't want war. We've been at, we're still at war in Iraq and Afghanistan since what, 2003. Um, and these are undeclared wars, but this has been the longest period of time that we've ever been at war. And what do we call it? A skirmish, a police state, occupying, I don't know what you call it. Um, conflicts. But, armed, they call it armed conflicts is the new yes, rhetoric. Yeah. Yes, it is. And um, Americans are not wanting war anymore. In the 1960s. The physical cycle was low. The emotional cycle was high. Hence the slogan, make love, not war. Because mm-hmm. it was more emotional and less fight. When the physical so cycle you're saying that when the, physical, when the physical is on the low side, yeah. Yeah. that's when peace actually uh, reigns. And when the physical swings high, there's a greater propensity for war. There's a greater propensity. <laughs> you can have anything happen at any time, but the frequency sure. is consistent. Um, I guess we're propensity. looking at matters of probability. Yes, that's what we are. Uh, that's okay. what we are looking at. And that's as far as we are concerned, but that that doesn't mean that another nation isn't going to attack us when their cycles are in a different position. I'm just saying what our internal propensity is that we will have less of a propensity to start them ourselves. Because yes, I understand. Now, yeah. interestingly, there's a correlation, uh, and you could speak to this a whole lot better than I could, uh, between what we see in the color of them interpretation of cycles and what we have as an astrological interpretation of cycles, both with their own respective validities. How would you see their interaction? And I'm bringing that point up here, Dave, because of this idea that we have been raised on 
of moving from the Piscean Age into the Aquarian. It's another way of marking time in space. Could you comment on that? Well, yeah, and if you take the great year and divide it into 12 sections of uh, the astrological ages, you've got 2,160 years for each one of those ages, and we Mm -hmm. are moving into the Piscean age. Um, And if you go... Into the Piscean, you mean into the Aquarian? I mean into the Aquarian, I'm sorry. Yeah, And, um, Yeah. And if you go even larger scales than that, from the Hindu concept of the yugas, and these last sure. many thousands of years, uh, there are those who are telling us that we're moving up out of the low period of that time, which they call the Kali Yuga, which is like yeah. a long, dark night. Into the Satya they, Yuga. Yes, into the Satya Yuga, which is basically the sun coming back up, as it were. Yes, yeah. and years. the truth coming back, too. The truth has been yeah. buried yeah. Power, murder, things like that. Brutality yeah. uh, happened in the in the Kali Yuga. It's, it's a tough time. <clears throat> We've and you look back from not just the world wars uh, that we know, but going back uh, to the wars and the cruelty two thousand mm-hmm. years ago and fictions and oh, we know the history. Uh, this is yeah. all in the Kali. So um, supposedly. Not just cycles of a nation, cycles of the world, and not just the ages of the zodiac, um, and not just the yugas. There are a lot of things that are coinciding, that are saying we're moving into more peaceful times. To touch upon world cycles, I said that a nation has cycles that last so many tens of years. I want to mention briefly that the world has these biorhythms of the world, if you will, that last hundreds of years. And in the 20th century, with a physical high in the 20th century of these hundreds of years long cycles, and an emotional low and an intellectual low, we were out building our own sense and we didn't care. And we would fight and kill for natural resources. Because things mm-hmm. matter, money matter, oil matter, gold, metal, you know, land, territory, and fences, and all of this stuff. That's all part of a physical high. Fences come up. Give me more things and get out of the way. Yes. These get phys- let's get physical, things. right? Let's get physical. So well, now that we are in a, a state of a lower physical cycle, does that right. then also mean – that the material world is less uh, engaging, less attached. We are less attached to it. Exactly. You have hit the nail on the head. We are downsizing our belongings. (laughs) We're riding city bikes instead of owning two cars. Um, We are doing resource sharing. And we are being less acquisitive. We're doing things smarter, not harder, not bigger, not better, just cleverer. And, uh, yeah, and we're finding that we don't have to be destructive in the process. And you know what else? We are caring more about it. It's a reverse. The physical cycle is low, which means we're reforming the machine age. And the emotional cycle and the intellectual cycle are high now, unlike they were in the last couple of centuries during the Victorian era. So we are finding smarter ways to reform the machine age. And we care enough to be motivated to do it. And that is going to pervade the rest of the century into the next century and some of this century beyond of these cycles appearing in a larger scale all around the world. Biorhythms mm-hmm. of a person, biorhythms of each nation on tens of years, and then call it the biorhythms of the world that last hundreds of years long and account for the different changing ages. It's beautiful. I, I, exactly. I want to ask a question. It may seem like it's going back to understanding the construction of calorithms in the first place, but how is it that you lighted upon 
determining the duration of each of the respective cycles, emotional cycle being 28 days, et cetera, et cetera. How did you determine that? It started with somebody. When you were a wee little boy. I was looking for correlations. Um, and I found out that there was seven-year patterns of cell development in our bodies and other things correlating with seven years that I was able to equate seven with physical. There are, is anecdotal evidence of our behavior that suggests nine-year cycles. Rate of divorce happens on the 10th year of marriage, and that's after it goes through a cycle of nine years. And then on the 10th year begins, well, separation, go into a new cycle, and the couples will separate. And there are other things in the nine-year cycle that suggest that there is a correlation with nine years and emotion. The intellectual cycle, uh, some say that there is cranium growth that can end at 22 years of age. And this correlates with the sun, electromagnetic impulses coming from the sunspot cycles uh, being a multiple of the 11-year sunspot cycle. Anyway, and there are more. And I'm going to be putting these up on the website. But I started out with seven-year uh, physical aspects, nine-year emotional aspects, and 11-year intellectual aspects. And I knew that the physical would be the shortest, the emotional would be in the middle, and the intellectual would be the longest. And I tried plotting them. Seven years, nine years, and 11 years, it didn't work. So I tried multiples. And I did 14 and 18 and 22. That didn't work. And three times, that didn't work. And four times, bingo, it worked. Everything fell into place. And I realized that these were quarters of a cycle. Seven years is a quarter of a physical cycle. That's very important. Nine years is a quarter of emotional cycle. And 11 years is a quarter of the intellectual cycle. And when we put that together. You mean on a, planet, on a planetary level? On a uh, na- national level. On national, okay. National. And so, yes. and so when you put them together, you have a 28-year physical. Sure, that's 36. where you get your 36, yeah. And 36 comes from four times nine and a 44-year. So I started by looking at what evidence we did have to get elements. And the elements turned out not to be the cycles, but quarters of a cycle. I had to multiply them, um, and there's a connection. So – with that being the case, I was able to find that those durations work, and they work for every country. Okay, so what we can surmise from what you're saying is you sort of <laughs> – you backed into the – you sort of reverse engineered it in a way by did, playing yeah. with numbers. No, it's very, very clever. Of course, you spent a lot of time pouring over data and looking at correlations, what correlates, what does not. And so it looks like there is both what we could call a subjective determining of things where you felt through your observation and observation that something was happening, some form of novelty, as our dear friend uh, Terence McKenna would call it, a moment of novelty in a cycle that you would and then see it reiterated over time. And then there are the objective cycles that were interfacing with what you were observing. For instance, solar cycles, which have a definite beginning and middle and end. And you brought together a body of thought and knowledge to come up with 33 days instead of 34 days, for instance, or 36 years instead of 35 years. Is that a fair thing to say? It's a fair thing to say, and you said it very well. And so it's a a combination of subjective, intuitive, and yet seeking to anchor that and corroborate it with scientific data uh, of things that seem to be connected. And you have to put yes. all of them together. You know, psychology is considered a pseudoscience because science is supposed to be a system of exact measure, but you can't exactly measure the mind or the heart or behavior. Um, so social sciences is going to be a pseudoscience as well. Well, you can yes. measure the heart. You can measure the heart physiologically, but you can't measure the heart emotionally is what you're saying. Sure. That's right. 
exactly right. You can you know, do an EKG you, all day long, and you won't know what the person is actually feeling. <laughs> that's right. But yeah. the propensity to have highs like the 1964 high in the 60s being the most high, and you got Beatlemania in the 60s and Mod Mod World to uh, the 80s where everything was subdued, except that everything was very physical. We went disco, on and on and on. There's just so many yeah. examples as you go out through history, but you do have to combine all those things to get it. And it's like getting a joke. You either get it or you don't. <laughs> yes, that's very good. Well, I got your joke, brother. <laughs> and, uh, no, it yeah. is a cosmic joke in many ways. It's very interesting because in a sense, the way I kind of like looking at what you've done here is, you know, taking into consideration the subjective and the objective uh, correlations, and I think it's only sensible that it would include both, uh, because life, after all, is both. And I want to draw another correlation, if I will, if I can, to um, my reference to Terence McKenna, who had his zero-wave time theory. And in fact, that's where you and I first met at a workshop that yeah. is at New York's Open Center back in the early '90s, and um, it's. It's of value here because he said that based on his calculations, and he went, you know, very imaginatively to put together his theory, he kept trying to disprove it. But every time he overlapped his thinking on the past, you know, retroactive thinking, if you will, he kept seeing correlations of novelty right at the moments historically he expected them to be. And with that continuing to happen, he saw that he was onto something. So in parallel, you too have done exactly that, and you've fine-tuned your system so that high points, or low points for that matter, in history correlate with the high points or the low points of the emotional, intellectual, physical cycles, and specific moments of their crossovers. The nail on the head. And uh, Terrence uh, explained in that conference he gave, that lecture he gave, examples through history, uh, correlating it with a map that he put up of time that he derived from uh, the I Ching, um, right. the King Wen sequence of the I Ching. And um, he also uh, made, makes, made reference, uh, God bless his soul, uh, to fractal time. And that mm-hmm. dovetails with the concept that we have fractal time. And this is my own spinoff now. Um, I don't want to put words in Terrence's mouth. He didn't say this. But I think it dovetails with the fact that we have biorhythms in our bodies. We have uh, national rhythms, which are repeating the same thing on larger scales of size and time. And all of the nations are under the umbrella of world cycles uh, that last hundreds of years, but they're all the same cycles, repeating on yes. grander and smaller scales. And smaller scales, yeah. exactly. It's a quantum universe, man. You know, with it all is, due yeah. respect to, uh, and I think it should be noted duly for the record, that uh, Terence, when you told him about your discoveries, forming color rhythms he very much appreciated he was seemed awed by what it is you had um lighted up before the lunch break it was a good long lunch break uh and he expressed his interest in it and so he invited me to have lunch with him um so that we could talk about it more and i said great so we went out and outside and there was some place to eat nearby and what happened is just about the whole class followed us over well, it was the spring street restaurant and i was sitting next to uh both of you so oh, <laughs> across cool. yeah. from terrence and you so yeah i remember that very well and that's where i saw his uh curiosity and appreciation being expressed by him at what it is you were uh sharing with him and you know we we are confident enough, you and I both, in my being a student of yours in the calorithm uh, material over the course of years. We don't need external corroboration, but it sure is fun and nice, especially from someone that we respected and held in such high esteem as Terrence McKenna. So you know, it's uh, yes, really he, kudos he to. 
what it is you've shared. If you would, in the last few minutes here, David Katzmeyer, share with us what, I know you've done it in part, um, what you see for the next five or ten years in our own nation, and then what you see on a broader planetary scale. A tremendous cutback in the size of government. Huge. Um, and I avoided the word bigly, but uh, there is going to be <laughs> uh, there is going to be a great deal. A big league because- cutback. Do you know what he's actually <laughs> saying? He's actually saying no. big league. Oh, oh, is that right? Oh, that's okay. what I heard. I that. Thank you. All right. He wasn't trying um, to d- utterly destroy our beautiful language with one word. He was actually just not pronouncing two words very distinctly. I did not know that. I didn't, that's, <laughs> that's good to know. And, um, and, but and it is case, a little heartening. <laughs> well, yeah. I think that uh, the downsizing is going to continue um, for the rest of this decade. Absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind. And uh, going into the next decade, uh, because we cannot sustain the spending that we've been in and the expansion that we've been in. Spending uh, under George Bush, um, what outspent all previous presidents in history before him, and then Obama outspent George Bush. And so, can you imagine those two presidents back to back expanding the size of government uh, with, and Congress? Uh, that is absolutely massive and it can't be sustained. And so we yeah. increased spending, and it came when um, all the cycles were high at the turn of the century. And uh, expansion follows those kind of highs. And, and so that was consistent with the cyclical high that we were in. It was a three-way high. And now we're on the verge of a three-way low, and what is consist- consistent through history is that we cut back during that time, and so the cutbacks are going to continue left and right. And like I say, in 2020, there could be an industrial recession. It will be short-lived, and, but then uh, in the 2020s, we begin the long, slow road of recovery. And I'm going what to you, when you say a short-lived recession, that's between yeah. 2020 and a year, about a year long. About uh, a year. I expect so, recession to last. From a business point of view, uh, would that be a good time? Uh, for instance, uh, something yeah. like real estate. Maybe gold would be at a low ebb in prices. Would that be a good time to, if one is minded this way, acquire? Gold and real estate or sell? I can answer that in three words. Buy, buy, buy. Especially real estate. Buy, buy, buy. You know, around 2020. And that means it should have been sold off prior to that. Well, the peak was in 2006. You know, if you just followed, real estate is very much influenced by the physical cycle. Now, now remember, all sure. cycles are in play all the time. But look, yes. if you have followed since the turn of the 20th century, let's just say you're going to just follow the one cycle, and you're going to be real estate, and you you're going to buy and sell, and you're going to have a really long life. You're going to live more than 100 years old. So you start out just doing it very simple. You buy on the physical low, and you sell on the physical high. What would you do? Well, you would buy and. You would have bought. You yes, uh, you would have bought in 1908 and sold in 1923 during the Roaring Twenties, um, and then you would have bought again in 1936 during the Great Depression and sold in 1950, which was the 50s was a good time. You would have bought again in 1964 when the dollar was very strong and real estate was cheap, and you would have sold in 1978, and that was a peak time for real estate. Then you would have bought again in 1992 during the the industrial recession and sold in 2006, which was a peak time to sell, and then you would buy again in 2020 and hang on to that until – 2034. 
So you're looking at 14-year cycles. Yeah, 14 years between the low and the high. And that and 14 years between the high and the low. If you did and nothing just keep that, flipping 14-year cycles forward, and you will be living a very long and very profitable life. <laughs> history bear would have been very profitable, and it will be in the future. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, Dave Katzmeyer, this has been utterly wonderful unpacking the uh, mysteries of the universe as they have been embedded in cycles and in your particular uh, version and purview through calorithms, which I think is utterly gifted work, and I so appreciate it. It really helps to elucidate our understanding of history and, as we've been talking about just now, the future. It's, uh, it's a great gift you've given to humanity, and uh, I just thank you deeply for, for it and for uh, sharing it with our audience yet again. And I thank you for translating my work into English. You get it. Excuse and that's me? what it comes down to. You get it. Yeah. And that's what it comes down to. But yeah. That's it. We're the I do. I get it. And I have, having gotten it, I have a really immense uh, respect for it and appreciation of it. And um, I'm glad to speak cycles with you, even while bicycling. That's what our next task will be. Yeah, we can double cycle. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> Give well, our audience your – say that again? I uh, thank you for allowing me yeah. to share this with your listeners. Absolutely. No, I so appreciate it. You're so welcome. And uh, share your, uh, your website again, if you would. Calorhythms, K-A-L-A, rhythms.org. Beautiful. Calorhythms. Thank you again, David Katzmeyer. You're doing beautiful work. I so appreciate it. And we will indeed, at the right moment in the cycle, have you back on again. Thank you so much, Mitchell. Okay, Dave. David Katzmeyer, a wonderful good friend, major supporter of A Better World in so many ways for many, many years. Uh, He's helped and uh, designed the website and just interacted on many different levels uh, with me in A Better World and has just been so good a friend. And it's such a pleasure for me to have him on these airwaves as well as on TV talking about this work because it is truly insightful and it can be when applied very helpful on so many levels social economic political personal and understanding relationships between countries after all and his website is full just really chock full of this kind of information and you can really make a a rather good study of it simply by going there so I want to just thank David Katzmeyer yet again for his good work. I want to remind you all that A Better World is a 501c3, a nonprofit, and we are sustained through your kind, thoughtful giving. So either through our website, abetterworld.tv, where you can also sign up for our free newsletter, and always appreciate if you do, and you can also make a donation there, or by simply writing to me directly at mjr at abetterworld.net, mjr at abetterworld.net. And I also love to receive your comments about our shows and what it is about them that you've appreciated and those parts of them that you have not, if there are such parts. It's always good for me. If you are interested in any of my services having to do with business, communication, stress management, consulting, and coaching, certainly feel free to get in touch with me at that same email address or calling at 212-420-0800. We have a lot going on here at A Better World, and you can also check out MitchellRabin.com, M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-R-A-B-I-N. Really a pleasure to have you joining again tonight, and I look forward to speaking with you all next week.
that was Mozart's cue. And he... 